Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, fantasy footballers, Dynasty League dirtballs, NFL draft fans, and DFS degenerates worldwide, this is the Roster Watch Podcast, presented by RosterWatch.com. Roster Watch Nation, prepare for pop, flash, and sizzle. Prepare for knowledge bombs and cockamamie business. The Roster Watch crew is here to deliver the goods you can't find anywhere else. Here is your host, RosterWatch.com Editor-in-Chief, Alex Dunlap. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by RosterWatch.com. I am Alex Dunlap. Here, as always, with Byron Lambert. We are live today. It is Thursday at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We've just gotten done with all of the head coach and GM availabilities. We are on a lunch break right now between when that portion of the Combine ends for the media and where the prospect interview portion uh, begins. So we're going to take this time to go over some of the news and notes of uh, the end of yesterday that uh, occurred after yesterday's podcast. Also, just uh, from, from a flurry of information from this morning uh, coming in, into this afternoon as it pertains to the head coaches, the GMs, and the information coming here out of Indy in the coming days for uh, subsequent episodes of this podcast, we will be discussing the prospects and you know, what they said to us in interviews, their heights, weights, you know, buzz about those guys. But uh, for for now, let's just get into it, Byron. Um, uh, and before we get started, our marketing guy would kill me if I didn't. I haven't been saying this enough. He said, "If you like the podcast, go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, give us a good review. If you'd like to keep the podcast going, please give us a good review. Give us a good rating on either of those platforms. Of course, you can also listen at rosterwatch.com/backslash." podcast you can become a pro member at rosterwatch.com for less than a cheap cup of coffee a month if you'd like to support our maniacal work doing all this that we would certainly appreciate you becoming a pro member at our community with that said byron uh, your your thoughts from today yesterday what is it that sticks off to you as as, as we get into this roundup man i'm just going to dive right into what roster watch nation wants to know and that's that's what players made whose eyes light up today <laughs> well that's a good one yeah. Well, we know Which players was... made head coaches and GMs' eyes light up when we asked about them today? And we're going to start. We'll say yesterday what it was Jameis Winston for sure asking the Bucks about, asking the oh, Bucks about well, that guy. They, you know, not only <laughs> not only did their eyes light up about Jameis Winston, they are Jameis Winston apologists. No, yeah, that's what we said yesterday. On the just uh, just I mean, um, blatant. He can do no wrong. No. <laughs> Not that, not that we find anything. I mean, I, I think that the whole thing with him at the school, I think that that was probably taken out of context and a little bit overblown. But, st- I mean, even if it wasn't, he, he, can st- he can still do no wrong in their eyes. They, they sure do love him. The players so far who've made uh, NFL brass light up, uh, their eyes light up today, certainly Christian McCaffrey, Jack Del Rio, and uh, John Lynch. John Lynch, new 49ers GM echoing the exact same sentiments. Not only do they believe that this is a special kid who's had a special career, they, they both truly believe he's from a special family, which, as we know, is a big ingredient uh, to these guys' success as adults in the NFL, as professionals. And both of them, without hesitation, Christian McCaffrey going to be a great player in the NFL. Well, you know what? You know what? And even David Caldwell said, 
there there is no problem carving a role for Christian McCaffrey. So this is a sentiment across the league from big time personnel guys. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I think, is going to be a first rounder. Jack Del Rio, well, Jack Del Rio was saying, I've heard this his entire career uh, because their kids played, his kid played with him and played with McCaffrey in high school. And so he said, I've heard this whole thing about his game not translating to the next level going back to when he was in high school. And he proved everybody wrong about that. He's going to prove everybody wrong at the NFL level. So, I, I mean, I don't even know what, the, I'm not sure if that means that if he's there when the Raiders make their pick, if he might be somebody who they kick the tires around on. I know that we did ask uh, Jack Del Rio today about the two runners that he's going to have on the roster post Latavius Murray. I'll, dr I'll drop that audio right here. Exactly the same way this year. Coach, what the two young running backs show you this year, Washington and uh, Richard? Yeah, they did a great job. Obviously, uh, we took Washington and DeAndre in the fifth round. Um, he's got got great burst and vision. Uh, and then uh, and we're happy to have him. Thought he had a solid year. Uh, Jalen Richard comes, up, comes out of nowhere, uh, undrafted, and um, comes in with a tryout, takes full advantage of the tryout, uh, gets himself into camp, and just kept making plays and kept standing out. And uh, it was a great story. We had several undrafteds make it last year. And um, yeah, I'm just really proud of, of Jalen. Really, both those young men are good, good football players. Okay, uh, so obviously, I don't think that Jalen Richard or DeAndre Washington are going to be carrying the, <laughs> you know, carrying the load there for the Oakland Raiders. Latavius Murray's as good as gone, so they're going to be looking running back. I don't know how much I, I mean, we've talked about how much we kind of like the poss. We talked about before we even knew about this connection with uh, Jack Del Rio about the possibilities of a Christian McCaffrey. In a you know in a fast-paced Derek Carr you know sling it around offense, it sounded pretty good on the surface. But I'm not sh you know if you get those three running backs that none of them are the real volume guy, that's to me starts seeming an awful lot like maybe like a Detroit Lions or something like that where everything gets too watered down. Yeah, it doesn't preclude the signing of a veteran running right, back. Right. No, signing of a veteran running back may preclude a first-round pick. Of, of another running back, but you know Jack Del Rio is going to be pounding the table in the draft room Just all day long for Christian McCaffrey. And here's the thing. They're picking late in the first round. At that point, they're, they may not have the option of one of these elite, quote-unquote, workhorses. And at that point, you're saying, well, running back's a need. We think this guy is great. Maybe it's not the optimal fit, but in this offense, I think it works. A couple other standouts from me from Jack Del Rio. Um you know, he he, he kind of had like, he was he a little bit kind of teary eyed or something when he started out on stage. He loves Mark Davis. Like Mark something. Davis tore up his contract. No, he had an agenda. Jack Del Rio's agenda was to get up to that podium today and to extend gratitude publicly to Mark Davis. Yes, because you're right. Yeah. And he that was his agenda, and he just he he truly believes that Mark Davis has been very gracious and completely supportive in all avenues to both he and Reggie McKenzie. And he also says that Mark Davis is a man of his word who went and tore up his contract, who Jack Del Rio said admittedly, with a guy with as much coaching experience as him, he signed an under-market-value contract to coach the Oakland Raiders. And he says that Mark Davis has been a man of his word who went back, tore that contract up, and did him right um, 
not only that, he's come through on a bunch of other promises, too, about money for certain facilities, everything like that. Of course, that's not going to be any big deal if they move to Las Vegas. They're going to have great new facilities. But, yes, uh, you know, just basically, as Byron said, talked about, you know, the support he'd received from Mark Davis. Also mentioned that uh, about Derek Carr. I asked about Derek Carr. He said that uh, we still have a couple of months before we crank it up with Carr. But as whenever I uh, pushed him, he said that he does expect a complete return in the offseason and that he views his recovery as ahead of schedule. Um, and also just he kept saying Del Rio kept talking about how this is year three. It's about uh, not just building a foundation and, 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 you know, or not just continuing to build on the foundation that they've established, but realizing that we're just getting started. He kept on saying that we're just getting started. And so, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily something like we're just getting started with building this team, but maybe he was saying that, you know, we're just getting started with what you're about to see out of this team as long as the quarterback can stay healthy. While I'm looking at the uh, library of audio files from the combine, from this year's combine that we'll be uploading uh, to rosterwatch.com for all of our pro subscribers, uh, it, it, I'm staring right at it. Uh, we, it was from yesterday. We won't spend too much time on it. But as far as guys who made people's eyes light up, Tyreek Hill makes Andy Reid's eyes light up. Yeah, and we, and we asked him, is this guy going to get more involved next season on the offensive side of the football? Because he's, he's a guy who you need to, uh, just based on what he did, you know, it, can, can that role grow? Byron actually asked Andy Reid about that yesterday. I will drop the audio. Coach right Tyreek Hill went bananas this year. Um, can you possibly? Ex I mean, do you expect more production out of? It? Is there more that he can do? Is there a larger role that he can play? Yeah, I think so. You know, we test him every week. We give him a little bit more each week, and uh, just to see where that ceiling might be for that that week. I never felt like he, you know, ran out of uh, the gigabytes area. I thought you could keep uh, keep feeding him and. and uh, and so we'll do that. We'll, we'll go back uh, and give him a little bit more this, this coming year. Oh, he hadn't really played a lot of wide receivers, so that was, that was kind of new for him. Uh, but, again, he's a smart kid. Gave us an opportunity to move him all around, play him a little running back, inside receiver, outside receiver. So, I mean, it begs the question, is Tyreek Hill still what we we said? Just We're only on episode what, this episode five of this podcast. We've already said on one episode of this podcast that what – I mean, we've only been doing this for two weeks, and we've already said before that Tyreek Hill is a, de is a red flag sell high in Dynasty. Do you still view him as a sell high if they're talking about getting him so much extra action? And now that we know that Jamal Charles is gone, for sure? Well, I, for me, if I can still get a first-round pick, and maybe more now if I can, if I can point my potential uh, buyer in the direction of this, this, this news coming out of here uh, that Andy Reid – wants to get him so much more involved, uh, I think that can maybe only make his value go up right now. So if he was already a first-rounder before we came to the Combine and these comments were made by Andy Reid, and I just say historically a player of his stature just can't play the snaps and that have that type of production over the long term. There's just not many historical comps for Tyreek Hill. So I'd still tend to say, yeah, if you can get a King's Ransom for him uh, – I would tend to sell him high, but this certainly makes you feel better about keeping him if you have him and you can't consummate a deal. It's Byron Lambert here with Alex Dunlap. This is the Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. Please give us a rating and a review on iTunes and Stitcher. If you're not already subscribed, please subscribe as we're going to keep this content uh, firing out at least here through these live events that we're at and also bi-weekly uh, when we're back in Austin between our off-season travels. Um, 
How about Tom Telesco? Did you get to see him at all? San Diego Chargers GM Tom Telesco. I did. I also saw Anthony Lynn. I mean, I'm impressed with what Tom Telesco's doing so far, and I like. Well, Tom Telesco's gotten out of our doghouse. Yeah, he's gotten out of the doghouse, and I'm really impressed with Anthony Lynn. By the way, I'm very, very impressed with all the new young blood in the head coaching positions across the NFL. This is a these are a very, look to be a very good group of young hires. And even Adam Gaze in his second year well, falls what, into that and category. And what was so funny me. was Adam Gaze got on the podium right after Sean McVay. Who looks like one of your old college buddies. And, and Sean, yeah, exactly. And Sean McVay, you know, uh, one of the reporters said to, said to Gaze as he got on last year, you were the young one. You know, and just Gaze looks like a, you know, a grizzled veteran up next to <laughs> Sean, Sean McVay. Sean McVay, seven yeah. years older. Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, back to Telesco. Uh, things well, that, the, the main takeaway there is that we're going to have to wait another year on Hunter Henry. That's not my main takeaway. It's not? No, no, not at all. My main takeaways were, I mean, if you want to go into that, we can, but I, I don't think that that's the main takeaway. Well, considering how much we've been hyping up Hunter Henry and and discussing his skyrocketing value in Dynasty, I think from that perspective, that was a huge takeaway for me. Yeah, I, I don't remember what he said about him. I remember Anthony Lynn. You said Anthony Lynn said something about Antonio Gates that made you infer yeah, about about Gates Henry. is going to be back. I think with Telesco. I mean, my my biggest takeaway was that he says that he is he wants Danny Woodhead back long term, and he says that they've already they've already gone out and and, and they've had discussions about that. Um, I thought it was weird. You know, to, it was such a trash man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, speaking, of, I I asked him also about uh, about. Melvin, just what Anthony Lynn's hiring would do to, for for a Melvin Gordon and Telesco just said it can't hurt. You know, what I mean, it can't it can't hurt. I mean, look at the guy, look at his background, and that's true. We've talked about that a lot. We really love uh, Melvin Gordon's upset side in an Anthony Lynn offense. I just think that now we're going to need to start considering Danny Woodhead a little bit more. He's pretty important there to to that to that regime. Uh, also, one other thing from Telesco, he wouldn't commit to an exact timetable on Keenan Allen's recovery. I tried to pin him down and see if he, Keenan Allen would be back for OTAs. He would not commit to that. Um, that's, but I just said, will he be back for preseason? He said, well, preseason is a long time from OTAs to you know fall camp. And I said, so he's going to be ready at some point in that, in that period. He said, yes, he's on schedule and he'll be ready at some point in that period. But he would not give me a firm timetable of it's going to be OTAs, it's going to be, you know, you know, it's going to be some kind of veteran mini camp or something like that. It's going to be fall camp. You know, we're just going to have to kind of take a wait and see with Keenan Allen. The good news is for redraft, at least uh, by the time that, you know, by the time that leagues start really kicking up drafts in earnest by the middle of August, we're going to have a very good idea of exactly where he is. As far as dynasty, I think he might be a little bit of a buy low if you can get a chicken little in your league who's willing to part with him for, for you know, pennies on the Well, ride. we certainly gave Telesco the chance to pat himself on the back as a personnel man and evaluator for uncovering Tyrell Williams, who I believe, from the way that Telesco spoke about him, has cemented his role as the brand-new Malcolm Floyd, a, a bigger, faster version of that uh, in this offense. That makes him uh, fantasy-relevant for sure. Can I, can I get to a few more guys that made people's eyes light up? Because oh, we were just yeah. talking about Adam Gaze, yeah. and there's just no way to get around it. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way to get around it. Jay Ajay makes Adam Gaze... Eyes light up like silver dollars. Yeah. It's the opposite of the Devontae Parker effect, which makes him look like he wants to crap his pants. Boy, he hates Devontae Parker. He hates Devontae Parker, and so do I. 
I'd be, I've always we, hey, we never were high on never Devontae were high Parker. on him as a prospect, and he was one of these guys that if he goes to if he goes to the league and goes big, you know, shame on us for not recognizing it. But there were just things with Devonte Parker that we saw that we you know we got to scout him at every uh, it, 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 it you know in every way we we did a bunch of film work on him. We got to see him live. We got to see the way he catches the ball live, and we just we didn't see it. We didn't we we didn't see the we didn't see the first round you know, the first round pedigree and talent there. And what's turned out, it hadn't been anything about his talent. It's turned out that, I mean, Gay said st- something like, uh, here, I'll just let you listen to the audio. What would you like to see out of um, Devontae Parker this offseason, anything he might want to be doing? And then do you, you, you anticipate any greater contributions from him in 2017? I think just consistency, you know, that day in, day out, you know, coming in the office at the right time, making sure that you're doing every little detail right. It's, it's one of those things that I think will, some of us that have been around some really good players take for granted and he's just got to understand that everything he does is important you know it's a trust level with everybody in the in the building you know if you tell somebody you're going to be there at 11 o'clock to lift be there you know don't call in and hey i'm not going to show up today so you know he's done a good job at the end of the season and the you know what he's been doing it sounds like so far is is he's doing good with just staying with re- his regiment and that's what that's how he had some success last year was he had three really good weeks in you know in practice and and everything he did during the day in meetings and and that's why that's why he was able to have good games so that's what we need from him we just need that consistency now let's compare that to how Adam Gase sounded when he was talking about the running back, Jay Ajayi. Has Jay Ajayi cemented a workhorse feature back type role moving forward? I think so. He was really that for us last year. You know, we were trying to use all three of those guys because they are, you know, they're they're different skill sets and they're good. And, you know, Jay's done a great job. We, we do need to get more snaps on offense, which would entail him getting more carries. He's done, he did a great job of coming along last year. We really felt good with the run scheme we were doing and just kind of sticking his foot in the ground, getting vertical and and running through tackles. I think if he didn't lead the league, he was up there in yards after contact. It was it was really it was a great thing to see his his development throughout the year and you know hopefully we can we can even go even further with the with the passing game and he did do a good job of improving in that area. Hopefully we can even take a bigger step. So Jay Ajay, I mean we gotta put it out there and just admit it. I mean we we hated him. Boy, as a he prospect. wants to feed Adam Gaze wants to feed He wants to feed him Jay Ajay. So we're just gonna he, have to at no expense. He does, he wants to hey he said he'll get Kenyon Drake a little more action, well, but not at the expense of any touches for Jay Ajay. And it didn't seem like he was too sold on Kenyon no, Drake. Kenyon Drake all. sucks. And uh, I'm not sure he was very sold on Leonte Carew either. No. I mean, I mean, they, hey, I'll tell you what. He's a man that knows he wants and needs Kenny Stills back. Well, he says they don't like Parker. Carew's not ready. He says that he said that he said some days he feels good about getting Kenny Stills back, and some days he feels like crap about it. <laughs> he's just Adam Gase is awesome. He's pretty honest yeah, he's, up there, man. He's a pretty awesome interview. Yeah, he's a good coach. Uh, would not be surprised to see the Dolphins look for value on a mid-round wide receiver. I did not talk at all to well anybody. Anybody else who made anyone's eyes light up? Oh yeah. Who else? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Pete Carroll likes to talk about Paul Richardson. Hmm. He's very excited about Paul Richardson. When I when I just at the mid- expense of Tyler Lockett. Didn't ask him that. That's not the kind of question you can get an answer from Pete well, Carroll if you ask it, him you like can't. that. Well, but well, I mean, you know, was there any context clues? No. The, the, the fact is, is that. He is just incredibly happy 
to have seen Paul Richardson finally get healthy and do all the things that they had scouted coming out of college. And the thing is, he says Paul Richardson's not just a deep threat. He says he can do everything. And all those big plays were just a matter of, of, of him getting on the field. So here's the thing. He told me he's a – I mean, it looks like Paul Richardson's going to be a starting outside receiver opposite Doug Baldwin. And I asked him, is he the flanker? Or, and he said he's just – those play split in and flanker is basically what he said. That sounds like he's coming at Tyler Lockett's expense. Well, I think Tyler Lockett's a slot receiver, but he he's a slot receiver who can also line up outside, and he that he'd lined up outside previously. It's like if they're talking about, well, I think they can probably use both Richardson and Lockett in that way. I, I think it's a good complementary group, uh, truthfully. But I do see a, a nice role for Paul Richardson. I mean, Russell Wilson's got a good arm. I mean. It's like the Doug Baldwin situation. That Seattle offense is the same story every year. It's so it's hard to put too much stock in any of those guys as far as a lead horse. But I think Paul Richardson's a guy who's going to continue to create value, yeah. and in, in, in our redraft and in our dynasty league. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, Paul Richardson probably somebody to keep an eye on in dynasty. I wouldn't trade anything more than a late third rounder or something in a rookie draft. But well, well, that'd be a nice swap. About a, get a late third. I'll trade a third-round rookie draft pick for Paul Richardson. An, an early third? I, I guess it just depends. I, I tend to think guys like Zay Jones and Cooper Cup will already be gone by then. I think they will. Maybe you could get a would, – would you cross-positionally between a rookie and a, and, and a veteran, Corey Clement or, uh, or Paul Richardson? It would depend on what my roster needs. If I needed a wide receiver, so I'd a, have no problem giving up Corey Clement to get Paul Richardson. So then it's about so you, so you do think that it's probably worth an early third because that's where I keep seeing Corey Clement go. Mm-hmm. It's around the two three turn. And let me give you just two more quick ones here. Uh, Carol, I don't know if it was eyes light up, but he's very pumped about CJ Pro Size. He says it's a full blown competition at the running back position for the lead dog between Pro Size. And Rawls, and the thing he hyped up about ProSize was the limited amount of time he was able to be healthy and on the field. He says he loves him because that guy can do everything. He can take it out of the backfield. He can play as a wide receiver just like they'd seen at Notre Dame. And you got to remember, Pete Carroll is somebody who's very familiar with Reggie Bush. He sees David Johnson across the division twice twice a year. He knows what a player like that looks like and what what they can do for you. Um, So... Here's my the takeaway from this is going to be that in redraft this year, I'm really going to want to draft whichever of those running backs I can draft later between Rawls and Pro Size. Yes. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah that makes perfect sense. I, I I mean I'm just I love CJ Pro Size so much, but then you could you always remember that you can think about uh, what was that was that the divisional round of the playoffs was that week 17 whenever Thomas Rawls had the huge outburst. At home, the monster. You see, you see it in him that he's capable of that, and so you worry a little bit. Of, you know, it's just well, and he wasn't necessarily a, totally healthy either. Right. No. Uh, and last one, I'm not sure if this is eyes lit up, but I, it was from Sean McVay and from Les Snead. We got very, very positive encouragement about tight end Ty- Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby. We got to ask both of them separately different questions about him, and got some real agreement between. Those two, and, you know, this is turning into one of these things where a lot of people are focused on Hunter Henry, a lot of people are focused on Austin Hooper in the dynasty leagues, and the truth is Tyler Higby's starting to look like he's he could be the real sleeper of all of them. He is, and, and, and let's just drop Les Snead talking about uh, soon-to-be second-year 
tight end, Tyler Higby, right Tyler now. Higby in his first year, just kind of behind the scenes or practice and stuff. And it was uh, interesting. Tyler started off really hot. I know some of our LA guys that are that are here in in training camp. He was a big weapon for us, and then he ran into a few injuries that set him back. And then what happens when when that occurs is, hey, your offense moves on. They're going on to to try to win games and. And that's what happened to him. He got behind because of injuries and wasn't able to really recover from that until midway through the season. And then we started seeping him into the lineup. And, you know, that's really Higby. But with, with Sean, he uses tight ends, his offense, you know, multiple tight ends, uh, a lot of times two, sometimes three. So expect big things for Tyler coming up. Okay, and so speaking of Les Snead, get, getting to talk to him, let's just, uh, let's just get on to some of these guys specifically. Les Snead, Byron asked him at the very beginning of the press conference when he got called. What did he give me? A legal procedure? Yeah, false start. Or, yeah, illegal procedure. Les Snead threw a flag on me yeah. at the podium and called called me for a legal procedure. <laughs> I wanted to fire this question out so bad for Roster Watch Nation because we love the Lamborghini so much, and he was, he was broken down on the side of the road far too often this last year. Of course, we mean the Lamborghini Todd Gurley that was in the – in the garage with a busted radiator pump or whatever else was going on during the during the season. And, uh, you know, Les Snead said what happened to the run game in 2016. He said it was definitely a sophomore slump. Uh, Byron, I mean, what did you take away from that? What I took away from that is, damn, they are not – I figured Les Snead was not going to – he was going to do anything to throw anybody under the bus except his golden boy and the franchise back, Todd Gurley. It kind of wasn't like that. He said it's part of his Gurley's fault. Man, come – Maybe Gurley being a little bit of a turd, that offensive line sucking, not having any, not being able to get any first downs. Like there's all kinds of stuff that went into it. But he certainly said it was a it was a sophomore slump for Todd Gurley. You don't think it was the Jason Light, Jameis Winston treatment? No, the exact opposite. The opposite. They came they, right he out swinging. He, he didn't coddle his star. No, did not coddle him. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of an indictment of Todd Gurley, and I think it was a point, a little bit of a pointed one, and. I would say he that might be strategic on on his end and certainly on a, on, on Sneed's end. Yeah, yeah, he's sending he's sending a little bit of a notice here. The thing is, Todd Gurley has, uh, you know, you've heard the rumblings about his attitude a little bit, and I've seen it. You know, I saw him at training camp last year. He's treated like a top dog. Jeff Fisher entitled him quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, Sneed Sneed basically admitted that the offensive line. Needed, is a lot to be desired, even though he's invested so many picks in that position in 2014 and 2015. You, you told him he's, he'd invested four picks, and he said, I think you're forgetting one. So an undrafted free agent, right, five. Right. I almost said four to five as I thought there was an extra <laughs> one in there, but I, there were really only four drafted. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that thing needs a lot of work. He, but this is where we left the less need press conference. Well, that's also he has the most work. He has so much. This is a huge – this is the make or break. I think we're going to look back, and this will be the offseason, that made or break, uh, less need. He's got so much work to do. He needs more cornerbacks for Wade Phillips' defense. He needs more linebackers for Wade Phillips' defense. He admitted all this. He's got to continue building the offensive line. They have to get uh, more wide receivers. And all of these things are pressing priorities. Speaking of the wide receivers, Snead did tell us that Kenny Britt will test free agency. So that's something where they're going to let – I mean, that's a deal. It's, here's the deal. In free agency, it's, instead of saying you're not particularly interested in somebody coming back, 
or you're not interested in investing, what they're going to cost to come back. What you let them do is you let them test the market and then come back to you. And that's what you just say you're doing. So that's what they're going to be doing with Kenny Britt. I expect his days in Los Angeles to be limited. Uh, also, just you know, on, on the defensive side of the football, I know this is, this is a fantasy and dynasty slanted podcast, but some of you guys could be IDP leaguers. Uh, Sneed said off podium when he was having his – you know, we, we go around and snoop off podium sometimes with the uh, local media talking to these guys. And they were just asking him about, and, you know, Wade Phillips' 3-4 defense, how the shifts in personnel were going to affect the linebackers and stuff. And the exact quote from Snead was, we may be a little light on, on, on linebackers to fit in Wade's system. So I would expect the Rams to treat linebackers a priority need as if they don't have a million other needs, as Byron just talked about. <laughs> I mean. Like they're I, all priorities. They're all and 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 they're all in important spots. So good thing Les Need is such a likable guy with such nice hair. Uh, I'll tell you what though, Sean McVay, super impressive and and, Lo- and nice hair. He's he's in the Good Hair Club now with oh. Les Need and Dimitrov. Ah, yeah, he does. McVay does have a nice head of hair. <laughs> I'll tell you, we are very impressed with what Les Need has done. He's not only is it, he, here's the thing. We're happy with Sean McVay, and who's getting a lot of credit for Kirk Cousins' development. We're not impressed with all that Les Snead has done. But this offseason, I'm very impressed with what he's thus doing. Thus far. Yes. He knows Jared Goff is his bread that he's got to butter. He gets Sean McVay in, an offensive guru with terrific quarterbacking skills uh, or developing, uh, developmental skills as far as what he did with Cousins. And he's grown up under John Gruden and Jay Gruden. Sean McVay told me this is a John Gruden, Jay Gruden offense, essentially. It's what he's going to be implementing in Los Angeles. Then you get Matt LaFleur that uh, he brought over from Atlanta, who's been there as a quarterback's coach with Matt Ryan working under Kyle Shanahan. And then you didn't even know that they also got Greg Olson over there, who's right. been, who's, who's developed, a, he's been a quarterback coach in the offensive side of the ball for years. He's worked with a lot of young quarterbacks. They're doing everything they can to make this thing about making Jared Goff, you know, you know his improvement. And that's the future of the franchise. So that's what I'm impressed with um, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, McVay told me that uh, he, same thing. Uh, he views Higby as a little bit of a different player than Jordan Reed. He says he's not sure he can run all those option routes. He's going to find out. But he, he definitely he thinks say, he's a guy that can get down the field and stretch the seam. That's what he's saying because he's got that big wingspan. He's, 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 he's got that, that huge range. And he also said that coming out in the actual draft process, Higby was a guy that he coveted. You know, not that he really had much to say over anything as, a, as an assistant during that time that was in, in, in Washington, but he said he was a guy coming out that he got sick on watching his tape and stuff. So I thought it was cool, too. He really went into asked him what the hallmarks of a Sean McVay offense are. And it's all about managing down a distance on first and second down. I think, he, I think we, ought to just let, we ought to just let the listeners to the podcast hear it. In the building, it's going to be about see the traits, you see the character, how it translates to the grass. But uh, very excited about Jared and, and some of the things that we've seen on tape from him. Sean, what are the hallmarks of your offensive system? Well, I think when you really look at it, the big thing you want to do when you're in those normal down and distances, first and second down, you want to try to be, be balanced, marry the run with the pass game. You know, a lot of the things that we've been fortunate enough to do in Washington and some of the offenses I've been a part of, the play actions and the movement are where you can kind of create some of those explosive plays. And then, you know, obviously being able to run the football uh, is going to be a very important part of it to stay in manageable third downs. And then, you know, we'll talk about being situational masters. we got to do a great job in red zone, third down, and two minute. Those will be the three main situations that we talk about. 
uh, with our offense specifically and, and really defense as well. So, you know, but I think when you look at the normal down and distances, it's figuring out, you know, what are we going to do as far as running the football, whether it's a wide zone, tight zone, some of the gap and trap schemes, but we want to marry the run and the pass game. Is this a West Coast offense? I think when you say West Coast, you know, the verbiage is kind of foundationally driven from that. Uh, a lot of the things that I learned are from, you know, John Gruden and, and his offense and Jay and those things are West Coast driven. You know, I think when you look at, you know, some of the quick game, the way that you, you know, have that quick game where you're using the width of the field, have it become an extension of your run game. There's some definite principles, but I think really when you talk about West Coast, it's more of what is your, you know, your verbiage and how you call plays and different things like that. So it is West Coast based in that regard. Okay, so clearly Sean McVay, very impressive dude. One, do you, do you know what I was impressed with? He's only been in that job for what? Six weeks? maybe less and every member of the LA beat that's here at the combine in the middle of his questions it's the old Mac Brown trick that Mac Brown did at Texas where he starts out and in the middle of the question both tells you your name like he's like you know what Alden that's a good question blah 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 blah. what's blah, a great sales blah, technique blah, 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 blah. and you know Alden it's like you know better than anybody that blah 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 and it's, it's like I'm just like man he's looking around here and these are just local beat guys he hasn't been on this beat for very long at all he's might have maybe had one or two press of, you know availabilities with them so clearly this is something he's taking some time to like go and look at things and memorize them and and you know know them just that small bit of attention to detail to me, that's just you know I don't know I, f I find it I find it very impressive whenever people pay that attention that much attention to that seemingly my my new uh, detail. Uh, anything else from Sean McVay that you can remember, or that's or, or that stood out to you? Uh, no, not particularly. I mean, he said there uh, still going to be. Uh, I believe was it him that's I believe he said there was still going to be the outside some outside zone principles. I, so I don't know. We think this is hopefully this is good for Gurley. Yeah, it's got to be good for Gurley. <laughs> I think it will be. I, I think it will be. I mean, they, what 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 he said. The first thing that McVay said was that on offense they have two very explosive weapons in Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin. Those are guys who they're going to continue to try and work in. What I'll tell you what stood out. One last thing. He, you know, on we think that offensive line stinks, and I think Les Snead thinks it too. But McVay actually mentioned a couple of those guys from that 2015 draft class that I asked about, Havenstein, mm -hmm. a couple of those other ones. Mm -hmm. He likes a couple of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, I'm sure he does. Um how I about how about uh is there somebody you want to talk about? Marquise Lee headache. Yeah, I was going to go to Dave Caldwell. Uh the first thing that I the first thing, you know, what I thought was really cool. This is just for IDP league guys, but boy, him saying that Miles Jack's going to be an 85 to 95% snap participant next year for the Jaguars. That is uh, that is big time, you know, getting a playmaker like that on the field for 85% of snaps. He only played 22% of snaps. Thank God we didn't part with him in the Leonard Fournette trade in our dynasty league. Well, we, were, we, we were close to doing it for basically giving him up for what was, you know, basically about a third-round value. Feeling like it's just a nice throw-in. you got to realize Miles Jack in IDP leagues is potentially much, much more than that. You want to talk about the uh, – let's talk about the Marquise Lee headache. Well, I just asked Caldwell. I said, what's the deal, man? Allen Robinson was 18 yards per catch in 2015. He was 12 yards per catch last year. Because really, that's if you look at the stats, that's what summarizes the decline in his production. I mean, the fact is he had the same targets and almost the same number of receptions. The touchdowns were half, and the yardage was like, you know, 65%, 70% or whatever what it was in 15 for the, for the monster. And, 
Caldwell just said. Why don't we just put in the audio what Caldwell said? Hey, Dave, I think Allen Robinson was about 18 yard per catch, almost hit that in 15. I think that number dropped closer to like 12 yards per catch this last season. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on how that came to be. Um, well, I think one is uh, I think you started seeing a lot more attention to Allen Robinson with defenses. I thought I think they, they put a safety more to his side. So uh, some of those bigger plays, explosive plays were limited which open, end up opening up for, like, Marquise Lee. And you saw Marquise kind of emerge this year, take advantage of those opportunities. Okay, so, I mean, clearly he was just getting the safety help over the top. They were going to the other side. Do you think it's a Marquise Lee headache, or do you think it's a, do you think it would be an Allen Hearns headache, too, if he was there? Or, you know, what is it? I think it's an Allen Robinson headache. <laughs> I think it is, too, man. I, I think that it's really hard to be this an Allen Robinson. This is spread it around right offense until right. somebody can force the double coverage to come off of Allen Robinson. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure these guys are capable of making that happen. I think they're just good enough to keep doing what they're doing last year, now, which is making a spread it around offense. Let's. Uh, what about Chris Ivory? I've been trying to get the news on him for the last two days. I feel like the the best information today came from Dave Caldwell. I'll just let's listen to the audio. Ivory, a guy that you're looking to get get more out of this year. He is. It was an unfortunate situation. I think we saw glimpses of what he can do. Um, the biggest thing with Chris is obviously his health, and uh, he had a setback early in the season and uh, just never kind of caught up to where he should have been from a conditioning standpoint. In a perfect world, is he a guy that's going to out-touch TJ Yeldon and kind of be the lead dog there in that committee? I think it'd be more of a 1A, 1 type of deal. I think uh, the two of them are, have different skill sets. Chris is an angry downhill runner. Uh, TJ's a great receiver out of the backfield, really good at pass protection, uh, great third down back. Uh, but can also take those tough carries in the middle, too. So uh, he's more of an elusive type of runner. So they want that to be a, so what did he say, like a 1-1-A one, one kind of situation between Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon. They need it to be because they're paying Chris Ivory $7 bucks a year. He said they're from the very – I mean, I think I, I think the context was clearly in that audio you just listened to from Dave Caldwell to show that – he, I asked him about Chris Ivory and the running game. If he wants him to get more going, he's just like, yeah, yeah, clearly. I mean, it, it was like, uh, it was obvious. It's like a duh. So I, I think that um, Chris Ivory, we know he's not going to stay healthy. You know, we know you're not going to get a full season out of him as, as a fantasy or dynasty owner. But I don't, I, you know, I was, we were just talking with, um, like, with Matt Berry and, and Mike Clay and some of these fantasy guys downstairs about what the you know, what the value on a Chris Ivory would be. And I was just like, I just threw out the number. I'm like, what about like an eighth to 10th round pick in, in redraft next year, you know? And Mike, you know, Mike, Mike Clay was like, oh, yeah, you know, if, we, if we're talking there, certainly. I think that that kind of, I mean, I think that he could present a sneaky value if he stays at that spot until redraft season. Yeah, if he can stay assuming on your bench, if he can be a bench player for you. Assuming he stays healthy, but uh, yeah, I, no, I mean, I, well, I he's think got. He's going to present a nice value in redraft, especially when he's healthy to start the season. Yeah, he's got big upside in the weeks that he's healthy, and I think that you know his upside is much greater than T.J. Yeldon's. Even though Cal Caldwell says it's a one A one B, I think the upside is much more with Ivory. He's although perfect, he's also more injury prone. He's a perfect player to target in like MFL tens and best ball formats, where you don't have to worry about the injuries. You're just looking for the occasional big upside game out of the guy. Where we're just if he has a big game, they'll toss him in your starting lineup and. You don't have to worry about the headache about whether you'd no, actually like a, to start That's a out. great point. Uh, okay, so other than that, for Dave Caldwell, uh, not really much fantasy-wise. Can um, I tell you one child of Roster Watch Nation who got some love today? A precious son? I guess we could call him that. Well, yes, I'd certainly would love to know. 
Ron Rivera just loved it. It tickled him pink when I asked him about Kiaris Garrett. Oh, he did. Sure did. See, now these are the questions that these guys love. Yes. About the players that they don't get bugged about all the time, that they secretly like themselves, that they've been kind of war- watching behind the scenes, do all the work that nobody else sees. And they love it when somebody comes and asks them about these guys. It's just a, it's a thing where they get to let loose and just talk about something that's not such a formal like topic that's going to be some huge media headline that's going to create a firestorm. They get to talk football about a player they like. Well, what did he say? He says Kiaris Garrett is going to get his chance this year. Well, this is interesting because yesterday when Gettleman talked and I had left to go to, to another podium, you'd come back to me and you were like, ooh, that was prickly about Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Those that adds up. It, well, so he was just saying that he just was he was he was lukewarm at best on on those. He guys. was lukewarm. You can listen for yourself, Dave. What was your evaluation of uh, Kelvin Benjamin's season coming off the knee injury and also Devin Fungison, I believe year two. Well, again, I think that you know our our at my postseason presser, I said the biggest issue we had on offense was we just couldn't get in rhythm. And I think they were part of that, part of that offense. I mean, you know, it's, you know, the first thing when you come off an ACL like Kelvin did, he, he was not a hundred percent healthy from the jump. I mean, that takes time. There isn't a guy coming off an ACL that's the first time he steps on the field, he's a hundred percent ready to go. So once he got confidence in the knee, he started. You know, Kelvin started strong. So he played well the first couple of weeks, and then it got kind of up and down. And for my from my view, the last three games, he finished real strong. You know, you talk about, if you want to just talk numbers, you know, Kelvin only finished about 30, 40 yards shy of his rookie year. You know, fewer catches, but he had, I think, almost a 17-yard average. And you got a wide with 17-yard average, you're not angry. You know, and, you know, the same thing with Funch. I mean, their games, their games have to mature. This is, you, you've got to be a pro. And, and, you know, we all get there. You know, you're a better guy in your job today than you were three years ago. I like to think I'm a better GM, despite the 6-10 and 10 record. Don't kill me here. <laughs> all right? That, you know, I'm getting better at, what I, at my craft. Well, you know, our offense was up and down, and we all need to get, be, have more continuity and, and get better at what we're doing. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, there it is right there. It's, that, that sounds lukewarm enough to me. It's um, not a glowing endorsement. No, and so Kiaris Garrett, probably got to keep an eye on. Some of you guys in the super deep dynasty leagues, if you use the cheat sheets this year, might still have him on your taxi squads. We'd say that that's probably a probably a hold for now, depending on the depth of your league and, uh, you know, rookie picks associated with uh, hold, holding those, those developmental and, and taxi squad spots on your roster. Uh, anything else from Ron Rivera? I didn't go over there for any of his stuff. No, that was the main... That that was, I'm, I'll tell you. It sounds like Jonathan Stewart's probably still going to be in the mix for one more year. When are, I'm so tired of talking about him. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. Hey, too. Did, what it, did Jason Garrett look at me like I was a complete fool yesterday? Oh God, yeah, no, that was a big takeaway. Is that you know Byron asked Jason Garrett if he if he thought it was wise to maybe start limiting um, Ezekiel Elliott's volume a little bit, or you know. Not limiting it, but just maybe monitoring it, saying, are you comfortable with 24 and a half touches per game? What, 360 touches last year or something like And he just kind of – he looked at us like we were just donkeys. And Jason Garrett likes us because he sees us at all these events and stuff. But he's like, man, you guys are better than asking questions. He's like, 
He's like, no. He's like, we saw Zeke as a guy who got better through the season, who got better through the game, who you want on the field at all times. You never want to. It's the Michael Jordan. And, and, you never and, want to take and, the ball out of his hands. All hand. aspects of his game. He is going to continue to feed Zeke. Uh, you know, miles on you know, tread on the tires, miles on the car. Be damned. Like this is the Zeke show. It's going to be for years to come. If you own him in Dynasty, uh, you know, congratulations to you. You certainly do if you've had pick 1.01 last season and used the Roster Watch world famous Dynasty cheat sheet. Hey, that brings up a good point, though. Zeke Elliott was the number one rookie running back last year, right? Yes. Who would have been all the talk of the town if there hadn't been such a freak in Zeke? Who Jordan Howard had a monster monster rookie campaign. He would have been the talk of the NFL in the rookie circles if it hadn't been for Zeke Elliott last year. And why won't John Fox commit to him as a lead workhorse feature running back like Adam Gaze is willing to about Jay Ajayi? Did you get, did, did, did you get audio of that question? Of course I did. All right, let's hear this. Coach, huge rookie year out of Jordan Howard. Has he established himself as the feature back and workhorse for this offense moving forward? Well, no doubt he's definitely got made a real positive impression on everybody. I think, uh, you know, not just on the field, but uh, the way, he, you know, his humility and uh, how he kind of handles some success early on as a rookie, I think says a lot about him, his football character and the type of guy he is. So uh, he's a guy that uh, we're very impressed with and I'm sure will be very impressed moving forward. All right, so one thing I thought was interesting, well, for one, I thought it was wild just to go to the podium and see that John Lynch, of all damn people, is an NFL GM. He looks good he up there. He kind of looks like a GM. Looks good up there. <laughs> you know, like he answers questions well. And the thing is, he's still he's still kind of a new GM. Now this is our sixth year doing this. You like talking to the new ones. They're a little bit looser lipped. They're not as jaded to the whole media thing yet. They're trying to talk to you like you're a real person. Well, they're trying to introduce themselves, create introduce a relationship a little bit with I'll the media. I'll never forget Gettleman's first uh, combine. I just came away in love with that guy. And he still is kind of yeah, the same. Yeah, sometimes year two and year three, you still get it a little bit, but you, you see things tighten up yeah, uh, for sure. I love that John Lynch says that he's a dra- he was a draft nick. Well, he said that he said his wife would just get so pissed at him because uh, it was the one like long weekend that he had during the during spring once football started back up again, and he still be, he said he'd be watching like crazy, he'd be curled up in there watching like the fifth and the sixth rounds of the draft and talking <laughs> talking about these guys and stuff. So uh, she's like, you know, you can't even get away from football for two two seconds to spend some time with the family. Um, I think the the most uh, I, I, the most noteworthy thing from that for me was Lynch saying that the quarterback Deshaun Kaiser blew the doors off of his interview with the 49ers last night. Um, and, and it's kind of just sparking, adding fuel to the fire that I think at two, they, they're not out of the quick picture to look at it, to look at a quarterback. And the reason is Lynch is the only GM, uh, the only coach, the only anybody who's been bullish on this quarterback class that thinks it's awesome. You know, he, he, sa- he, he, says, he says that... Sounds you know, like a draft, Nick. He says, that this, he says that this is a quarterback class that he's really excited about, that, that, uh, that you know... He mentioned the stuff about Kaiser. He talked about Patrick Mahomes' tape being you know, downright special is, 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 is the word that he used. So, um, you know, clearly, it, I mean, it's a, it's a need thing. They need a quarterback. He's going to be hyper-focused on quarterbacks. He's probably watched a whole ton of them and gotten to, you know, gotten to kind of like them. But, you know, I just thought that was very interesting that, you know, well, that, that there's that sort of amount of interest in this quarterback class that's kind of been – 
shoved aside as as you know, grovel by some of the other ones. Uh, the 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 only other thing for me uh, from Lynch was uh, was was this on 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 Carlos Hyde. Uh, Carlos Hyde, you envision him, you know, being a big part of the offense yeah. uh, in 2017. Yeah, um, Carlos is a guy. You know, you you when you um, when you first come to one thing, Kyle and I said from the start. You know, the first thing we need to do is really study and get an inventory on what we have, and uh, the process for doing that. We watched a lot of film together, and Carlos was a guy we're very excited about. Um, I think Kyle has has an ability to maximize uh, the skills of of, uh, of running backs, both in the run game and the pass game, and I think Carlos fits that mold. and And we think he's got a lot more. He's he, you know he's he's had nice film. We think we have a lot. He has a lot more in him, and uh, we're excited to try to pull that out of him. And to me, that's just very encouraging for Carlos Hyde that you have a guy like John Lynch saying, "We had this meeting." Where we talked about the players we have on, you know, the, the the players that we have and what we have where and all the, like. And Carlos Hyde's like the first guy that comes up is one of their real strengths, and they talk about how he's a great player and all this stuff. And you know, John Lynch, as you heard, they feel like they've only scratched the surface with that guy. They feel like they can get him even more involved in the passing game and stuff. So more and more, as we've been saying through the lifetime of this podcast, and we've been telling you on the Sirius XM airwaves, the Carlos Hyde hype. Uh, definitely starting to pick up here, at least within Roster Watch Nation. As usual, we're always you know three steps ahead of the competition when it comes to dynasty and redraft intelligence. So you know, make use of this information. Test the test the uh, temperature of the Carlos Hyde owner in your dynasty league, and make sure that he's on your radar there in the third round of uh, MFL tens but because that's where he can be had right can now. Can I tell you though when I? Consider what both he and Kyle Shanahan said. I have a slightly different takeaway than you do about Carlos sure, Hyde. Let's hear it. I, I think you had two guys who talked about upside and potentially a really big role for Carlos Hyde. But I didn't get the just overflowing, gushing endorsement that I guess I've been dreaming of or I've had in my own sick mind about how much I like Carlos Hyde and Dynasty moving forward. I felt like there was a tiny little bit of jury still out. Huh. Well, I, I, I got no jury still out from Lynch. So maybe that's um, could be just a way that they kind of present things differently or, you know, who, who really. I mean, knows. he's going to get all the chances in the whole world. I, jury's still out as far as can he reach the upside that they, you know, believe is there. Right. No, I, I, I definitely get that. Um, Let's see. I mean, it was anything else that really stands out to you? I mean, yesterday, I guess, I mean, we had Lions GM Bob Quinn. Uh, he told us that, you know, he might think about talking to Eric Ebron about an extension at some point, but that wouldn't be for a few months. Um, you know, the other thing about Bob Quinn is that he wants to ride and die by this whole thing about Joe Mixon should be here. And, like, you know, I think that's kind of weird how he said, you know, Joe Mixon is on the Lions draft board. Um, and then, you know, other than that, you know, we, well, they we need have, a running back. What about they, can't, <laughs> they need a running back bad, right? What, what do you say about the other ones? Oh, what about, what was, uh, oh, no, yeah, okay. So I, I did ask, I asked Bob Quinn about, you know, what he sees in Amir Abdullah and whether he could be a guy that kind of carries the load or if he's somebody who's going to have to be in a committee with Theo Riddick and then some other bigger back. Here's, here's that audio. Uh, of Amir Abdullah and also, if, do, like, 
do you see him as a guy who could carry the load for 15 carries a game there being a committee with Riddick? Or are they always going to need a bigger back and those guys are both going to be compliments? Yeah, I think the, the running back position as a whole in the National Football League, there's very few guys that just carry the ball 30, 30 times a game. So we're not going to just put all our eggs in one basket and say, you know, Amir Abdullah is going to carry it 25 times. I don't think that's realistic. I think the stable of backs that we have with Amir, Theo, Zach, and Dwayne is a good set of backs. We just got to improve the entire running game. And that includes like how the receivers block, how the tight ends block, the offensive line, the play calling, like everything needs to get evaluated. And we're in the middle of that process right now. You know, other than that, the only other fantasy relevant thing that I can think about that's sort of like a big headline and something I haven't seen, like Roto World and all these other places pick up all of our que- all of our questions. I see them all kind of making making headlines, but one that I haven't seen make any headlines anywhere so far is that Bill O'Brien says the Texans are going to reduce Lamar Miller's workload. Oh, that's a great point. I mean, that's something that is, that's something that's worrisome. He said that that's just too, he said the 30 carries a a game was just too much. And the Uh, wheels came off. The wheels came off. They rode him too hard early in the season. The wheels came off. Did Bill O'Brien go out of his way to let the media know he had nine wins this last season? He sure did. And you know what? I don't even want to talk anymore about Bill O'Brien. You know, I asked I asked Bill O'Brien. Oh, this really chapped his pants. <laughs> about DeAndre Hopkins. And we will just leave you guys uh, with this one. This has been Episode 5 of the Roster Watch Podcast. It would not be Roster Watch if somebody was not on tilt. Bill O'Brien gets on tilt with me, Alex Dunlap, right here. For Alex Dunlap, for Byron Lambert, Bill O'Brien. Take us out. What do you mean, what happened? Well, it's just like the fall off in, in production. How I many catches do you still have? Like I think he has catches. 78 catches as opposed to 111 in yeah, 2015. Okay, so he dropped off in catches. And he had about 600 fewer yards and, yeah, se- he and seven fewer yards. touchdowns.